What is Crackalackin' Hardwood Knocks listeners? I am Dan Valley, interjecting very quickly to say this is part two of our two-part Eastern Conference mailbag. We did over two hours of questions on every single Eastern Conference team. Thank you for your questions. Grant and I are about to wrap up the second half of the podcast. Be sure to check out um, the first part. The link is in the podcast in the YouTube description. And as always, please throw us that permanent subscription on your podcast player and YouTube, as well as tell people about us. Let's get into it. You got anything else there? Should we go to Detroit? Let's go to Detroit, baby. All right. Banner pace here. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's from Jason Brennan. Outside of Wemby and Scoot, who do you see the Pistons going after in the offseason through free agency and or the draft? Um, just as a starting point, Detroit is still very much a best player available operation. And that's true of almost everywhere. But I think it was kind of a mistake for the Pistons to think, you know, that they, they were going to compete for a playoff spot this year and, and, you know, granted Bogdanovich has been great. I think the, the idea that they want to keep him versus move him for future assets remains crazy to me. So the Pistons just sort of need to know where they are. And that's like, so if you, if you fall to second and Scoot Henderson's there, you don't think for a fraction of a millisecond that like, well, I don't know if that's going to work with Ivy and Cade being our, you know, primary, like, no, no, no. you just draft the best player. That's, that's, we're nowhere near ready to start thinking about fit for the Pistons. Um, so in terms of who else they can add beyond those two guys, I think it's important to know that they got between 33 and 43 million in cap space coming up. Um, I don't think it makes sense for them to sign anybody for a decent chunk of that. If that player is like over 25 or isn't someone you think is, you know, the best days are ahead. This is not a veteran signing thing. I still like the idea of using that space. If you can't find the perfect guy as like a dumping ground for bad salary and picks, it's just, the Pistons just, they are where they are. Um, and it's still asset accumulation. Maybe people disagree with that. I just don't see enough present talent to justify a, a pivot. So who should they sign? I'm just looking at younger guys, you know, Cam Johnson, especially in the kind of in between the guard and center positions. Anyone who can shoot. Grant Williams, Let's move on. Washington. Again, he's restricted. That's tricky. I don't know if I want to pay market rates for him. Um, and it looks like Grant Williams is going to be expensive too. I think justifiably. I like that name though. Even if you have to pay him, Grant the Grant yeah. Williams, Jalen Dern front court. Yeah, and you and Grant Williams can play some backup five if if Stewart's not someone you think. I mean, even that rotation is is workable. I think with those three guys, even if that if that's what you got, because you see it with you know Horford and Robert Williams and Grant Williams now. I mean, Horford's stretch makes that a little different, but it's 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 viable. Um, draft, I'll just fully admit, I haven't done a lot of draft research yet because it's January. Um, and the NBA is hard enough to follow, but a couple guys, Wimby Scoot, obviously, like just, if you're one of the first two picks, I don't know how you ever deviate. Um, Brandon Miller, six, nine from Alabama. He can shoot it. Um, I read a Paul George comp, which, uh, is always enough for me. I think <laughs> that's just, that's going to be fine. And he fits in that little in-between area. Like, can we get a wing that can shoot and create a little defend? to kind of balance out uh, what's sort of like a, I guess, top and bottom heavy point guard center roster or playmaker center roster. Cam Whitmore from Villanova. You're never going to convince me that it's a bad idea to draft a Villanova guard or wing. They just always are tough and defend. Um, and this, so for Whitmore in particular, 6'6", super athletic, um, listed at 230. So he's not like the willowy, you know, knocked off his, you know, flight pattern athlete. He's like going to maybe go through you occasionally. So those are a couple names I threw in there. Um, but it's all, it's all wings and combo forwards. Um, I think those are, those are your targets. If you can't get just the absolute, you know, blue chip guy for the Pistons. I wouldn't mind them. I know these are probably older than you would like, but like, I mean, Gary Trent Jr. is pretty young. Yeah. Uh, Bogdan Madonovich though could be helpful for this team. Let's get, and let's keep both the Bogdanovich. Let's put them on the same roster. You wouldn't even need a new Jersey. It'd be perfect. Malik Beasley would kind of not for the defense, but would be perfect. If I thought that the jazz would decline his team option with the, which they won't, I'll be, I'll be floored if he reaches free agency. Yeah. Um, the only other one we had here is from Kevin Marsh. Just real quickly. Do you think a trade of OG and Anobi for, we're all just trying to trade OG, right? Cause he fits everywhere. Uh, for Killian, I'm Hayes, to in Toronto, Brooks. but, <laughs> and a 24 first would work for both teams. I do not think that that would work for the Raptors. Cause I think, and I think very highly of Ananobi. I'm still not sold on Hayes. Um, Burks in the first round pick swap would be fine, but 
uh, no, OG is, is too good to give up for that. Yeah. Killian Hayes is just like, if he continues to hit these step back jumpers, his passing has always been there. His defense has always been there. But if this is the Killian Hayes that just finishes the season, I still don't think Toronto does it uh, just because they probably want someone who I think is more of a comfy fit or need someone who's more of a comfy fit off the ball. Uh, still, he becomes like a very, very, I know he'll be entering the final year of his rookie deal, but he becomes like a very interesting, is it trade piece? Is it, do we try to work this with Caden, Jaden Ivy? Uh, but he's been really, really solid, if not freaking good for Detroit. I think the fact that we're even discussing Killian Hayes now as like, well, maybe there's something there is just like a momentous, you know, salvage of where it looked like things were going for him. Uh, You know, for most of, again, injury hit, all this other stuff, tough adjustment coming over. But I just was, I could not have been more out on a player than Hayes. And the fact that it's even a thought that he could feature in a big way for the Pistons or anyone else is like, would would have lost a lot of money uh, betting against that. You know what would be an interesting team for Killian Hayes? The Magic. Okay, maybe. But that's like, there's, I mean, he, yeah, over faults, but like, I don't know what the Magic have to offer unless they're willing to yeah. give part of the pick. But the Warriors would be an interesting team for Killian Hayes. I don't know why Detroit would have any interest in like a James Wiseman picks package, but like if it was a Moses Moody picks package and then you have to attach other salary to it, I mean, I'm going to need to see some, I need to watch some more Hayes tape because the, you are out of your mind that that's not even something, <laughs> I guess. Cause you're trading a 2026 first round pick. I get it. But maybe in the off season when like it's, Oh, you could trade it after you get this year's draft pick or something. I wouldn't give up Kaminga for him. Oh, hell no. Kaminga's Kaminga's I would give up for him. I, I just, I don't know. I, I need to be, I have so much Hayes uh, skepticism like accumulated that it's, I just, I can't, it's really difficult. It's still like outweighs the good stuff that we've seen lately. Maybe that's not fair. That's just where I'm at. Uh, but he's been really good. I don't think the Raptors do that trade either. Just to be clear. Now, yeah. if it was Killian Hayes and like two Detroit first round picks that at least probably gets Toronto thinking, maybe not. You have to like Killian Hayes still. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting two first with Hayes for an, this is Ananobi. Ananobi is he's like still young. That's the issue. It's just, Killian Hayes definitely has the higher offensive ceiling. I think that's just clear at this point. But like OG Ananobi is defensive player of the year potential who doesn't drag down your offense. And that's like probably the least complimentary thing I could say about it. Like he's better than a liability is what I'm saying. Like much better than that. So I don't mean to frame it that way. But just because he's so young still, it makes it really difficult to figure out that. I mean, Killian Hayes is young as well, but his next contract is coming up. So is OG's just food for thought. We need to move on because I don't want to keep saying bad things about Killian Hayes. Um, All right. So we will move on. And that brings us to the, which is my team. We have the Indiana Pacers. Everything blacks ass. No one believes Indiana when they say they're negotiating an extension with Miles Turner, right? Where do you expect him to move, if anywhere, at the deadline? Um, So I would say, I don't know if... No, I don't know if everyone believes it. I believe that there are renegotiating extend talks with Miles Turner. And I... Wouldn't say I have it on good authority, but from what I've heard, like that might be the most likely outcome to all this. The Pacers have never been a wholesale rebuilding team. If they're willing to give Miles Turner a steep raise right now, they can always move him later on this deal. But they're also might be trying to be really good by next season. And Miles Turner can be a quintessential part of that. And if you have him locked down, you know how you can build out the rest of your front court rotation. Whereas right now, between the three and the four spots of legitimate three and four options, Aaron Neesmith is a keeper and it's like, Okay, who else? Like O'Shea Brissett, good, doesn't play enough, probably gone after this year. Jalen Smith, former guaranteed starter, Jalen Smith. Uh, like, no. Isaiah Jackson, kind of his playing time is just was all like it's not where it was at the early part of this season. So I think unless Miles Turner forces the issue himself or won't sign an extension, it would not shock me. And I might even call it the most likely outcome is he signs an extension. Now that being said, um, do we have some miles Turner trades? And the answer is I do. And so are you willing to play who says no with me yet again? Absolutely. All right. This one is tough, but OKC gets miles Turner, O'Shea Brissett and James Johnson. This would have to be completed separately, but it works. Indiana gets Jalen Williams, this past year's lottery pick JRE Muscala Baisley and a protected 
first round pick from the Clippers next year for the lottery, 2024 lottery protected first round pick. And then it turns into two seconds immediately. No, no extending after that. The the Thunder say no, because Jalen Williams is going to make at least one all-star game in his career. I will say the Thunder should target Miles Turner in free agency this summer. I want to make, I just want to make that clear. He'd be great next to Chet Holmgren. Next trade, Memphis receives Miles Turner. Indiana gets Danny Green, one of Santi Aldama, David Roddy, or Jake LaRavia, and a first rounder. I think the Pacers say no because I don't know if any of those I, I like Aldama, but I think I think Turner has more value to Memphis than that. I think I think Memphis could squeeze the Pacers for more. Would you do two? Let's say two of those youngsters and take your pick, two of those youngsters and a first. What if it's the Warriors first in 2024 that they're putting on the table? I think you got something there. I think that's doable. Uh, two Pelicans trades. The first one is New Orleans gets Miles Turner. Indiana gets Jonas Valanciunas and Herb Jones. New Orleans says no because they refused to do the right thing and should have traded for Miles Turner two years ago. No, right. this is great. Yeah, I mean, uh, Indiana should in, – both teams should do this if there's no extension for Turner that, in the offing. The other one is let's just say that they're not the, – that New Orleans for whatever, New Orleans doesn't want to trade Jonas for whatever reason. Indiana would get Devontae Graham, who's another year left on his deal after this one, Jackson Hayes, Herb Jones, and a 2024 first-round pick that would be, let's say, lotto protected or top 10 protected for Miles Turner. Pelicans should be all over that. The Pacers, I think, would hope to do a little better. Her, I, I wouldn't mind eating Graham if it gets me Herb Jones and a 2024 first because they already have th- three firsts in 2023. I would do that one, I think. Uh, final one. The Heat get Miles Turner. The Pacers get Duncan Robinson, Nikola Jovich, an unprotected pick this year from Miami, and then a 2024 swap. I really hate getting Duncan Robinson salary on the books if I'm the Pacers, and I'm not sure either of those firsts are going to be super high value because Miami's just never bad enough. If Miami went two firsts, so it would be 23 unprotected and then 27, because that's the plus Duncan Robinson, would you do it? I like the 27 a lot better just because you it's too hard to see the, the heat getting bad in a year or two. But by then, you know, you never know. Jimmy Butler will probably be done by then, so. Uh, next Pacers question and our final one came from a friend of the podcast, Rhett Bauer. Uh, Rhett, he says, who says no? Chris Duarte, Boston's first and Cleveland's first for John Collins. He also added in parentheticals. He's not sure whether he would give up both of those firsts to Atlanta. So let's say it's even just the, and Indiana can help you complete the lopsided trade because they have cap space. Do you do Chris Duarte in a first for Collins if you're Atlanta? isn't Collins value? Well, this is our same thing. I I feel like Collins should be worth more, but if you're getting first and all this talk is that the Hawks are going to have to give up first to move Collins, then I guess this is a good return. And I like it for the Pacers. Do you do it if you're Indy? What's that? You do it if you're Indy though. Yeah, I think I do. Because those first aren't going to be any good. And I, Chris Duarte can be good, but like you have Hallie, Benedict Matherin, Buddy Heal's been amazing for you. Andrew Nemhard's there now. And also, Rhett did point this out too. You need John Collins to be somewhere where he can be the four on defense and the five on offense. Mm-hmm. Miles Turner is the perfect. So you you do this and then you pay Miles Turner. Yep. Yeah, I'm good with that. I like that four or five combo. It beats the Jalen Smith promise starter and Turner combo. Are you ready to take us to? Let's. Let's go to Miami. That's where we're at, right? Alphabet. The scouting report on us is alphabet is a weakness, Um, but that's where we are. This is from Kevin. Uh, What can the Heat realistically get? Oh, is this one you wanted to save, the Kyle Lowry thing? I think that's our – yeah, whatever. You can can roll with it. All right, let's do it. Um, It kind of ties into the next one anyway. I'll be quick on the first part. It's from Kevin. What can the Heat realistically get for Kyle Lowry in a trade? Um, So Lowry's making $28 this year, $29 next year. He'll be 37 in March, and he's having the worst season uh, since he became a starter over a decade ago. So if you're trading for him, it's name recognition it's and the hope that he can be like capital letters Kyle Lowry in a playoff series or two, which is not out of the realm of possibility, but the trend line is what it is right now. Um, so I think actually you're more likely to have to pay somebody to take him. You know, oh, you're wow. sweetening this. 
Um, just because the numbers are, he's been bad. He hasn't been good. And he still does a lot of the little things and, and he's a, you know, a good guy to have around good veteran. But like, if I'm just comparing him to a somewhat similar guy in Mike Conley, who's under 40% from the field and he's scoring worse than he ever has, uh, since he was a rookie in 07, 08, which feels like it's impossible that someone's been playing that long. That's not named LeBron. Um, but he's a year younger and has a non-guarantee on 24 million, uh, next season. I think Conley is more likely to be a positive asset than Lowry at this point. Age, cost, additional year of salary you cannot get out of. That's just that's just what it is. So that gets us to JT Alexander, who says, who says no to this trade, which he got from the Bill Simmons podcast, and it is as follows. The Raptors receive D'Angelo Russell, Nikola Jovic, a 23 first from Miami. The Timberwolves receive Lowry. The Heat receive Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., so my first response to this is, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I don't think Minnesota says no to this because you're moving Russell, who you may not want to re-sign anyway, um, and you get Lowry, who might be the adult in the room that you need mm-hmm. to sort of help fix the situation. This is a really niche scenario, one of few where I do think Lowry's intangibles might make it so that the production, which has been poor, matters a little less. And the fact that you're probably losing Russell for nothing anyway, this, you could talk me into this. So I think Minnesota is good with this because you're also getting, uh, you're, you're, I'm sorry, they're just, you're just getting off Russell, which you may lose for nothing. Um, I think the Raptors probably say no first because I don't think, because they're getting Russell here. And I don't, even though he's a point guard and even though he addresses some of the like, who's going to create shots and that type of thing and run pick and rolls. I didn't, it doesn't feel like Russell is a Raptors type, not just because of the size, but I, I don't, I don't see it. And how much are they going to want to pay him? Um, so I guess the heat are the ones that are good with this. Um, oh, they should be with getting Van Fleet and GTJ. I would say, yeah, they should be. The good. problem is though, those guys could both just opt out. And so, I mean, you got to do this knowing that you have a number that everybody's cool with. Um, yeah, but it only costs you one first round pick in this scenario. I don't think, I think yeah. Toronto would be like, hell no. for this. Yeah, trade. no, I, I, so I don't know who you think. I don't know if someone jumps out to you is all I know for sure is that Minnesota is doing this a hundred times out of a hundred. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, which just sounds weird. Cause I just said Lowry is a negative asset, but that's just, that's how it appears to me. I think the Clippers would still get in on the Lowry sweepstakes and maybe there's something to be done with like John Wall and Marcus Morris or John Wall or Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris, depending on what you think the value is. I think Washington could talk themselves into it. Like they might offer you Rui Barton and not Kuzma, but let's say Monte Morris Mm -hmm. for Lowry. That would be a team. But I think you're looking at best. You're, You're probably not, you might get, these guys might be rotation players, but I don't think you're actually getting an upgraded player as part of a Lowry deal or a better fitting player, unless you're attaching a whole bunch of stuff. I don't think my point would be, though, I don't think you need to attach stuff to him to get him. I think you could get smaller contracts, expiring contracts, even for him, if you cast him or similarly long contracts, but maybe they're broken up into two or three players rather than just Kyle Lowry himself. Who's been yeah, better than just a abysmal start. I would point out. Yeah. I, I, I and I love Lowry. I, he's been one of my favorite players. It's just, I, I don't know. It's, there's so many, it's just so much easier for me to imagine. Like this is the type of contract you have to get off of. It feels like right now with how he's playing, as opposed to we're going to bring back a bunch of help, but I guess we'll find out. Although we may not find out. Cause I don't know if they're going to trade him. I would be shocked if it happens middle of the season, right? Yeah. It's an off season thing. It feels like. All right. We are on to the Milwaukee bucks. We have two questions on them. I'll start with the one from Nikola Chekolov. Part, apologies if I mispronounced that. How concerned should Bucks fans be about the most recent stretch? And so, just some background on this: um, since the Bucks' four-game win streak in December, they are 29th in offense overall, including in the half court, 27th in three-point percentage. Pat Connaughton, Javon Carter, Grayson Allen, Brooke Lopez have seen significant dips in their three-point percentage during this time. Uh, Chris Middleton, we know, hasn't really played. Joe Ingles has come back; he looks a little rusty on the offensive end to me. Giannis, Drew, and Middleton, this would be a vote in favor of patience, have played in just five games together. Drew has missed time himself. Uh, I think Giannis, people have made a lot of the mid-range stuff. I do think it's a problem. They account for 30% of his shots, which isn't an outlier relative to the past few years, but he's shooting 28% on them. 
He's actually been shooting 35% on them over this, you know, most recent buck stretch since that um, December winning streak. I think it's fair to have a moderate level of concern. You need to see this team at full strength and also acknowledge that they might not give a fuck whether they're there until the postseason. And I do think they've earned the benefit of the doubt in that regard. Like that's a team that they can experiment now, find out more about their depth, find out things about the limitations of relying on Grayson Allen or what you can get out of Marjan Beauchamp um, in higher leverage situations. Um, how the Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, Giannis lineup is going to work. I do think, however, when you look at this roster, there is a deficit of half court creation. Even when Chris Middleton is there, the numbers might be fine, but you need like another floor spacer who can work off the dribble. And I know that Jordan Clarkson has been mentioned among fans. And I, I think Bucks fans might even prefer Malik Beasley to that. I don't think they have the asset. They would have to go a 2029 pick and Marjan Bochamp. I think to get either one of those guys. And I wouldn't do that if I were them. I don't even know if I would like, are the jazz taking a 2029 first and just giving you Malik Beasley or Jordan Clarkson? Maybe Clarkson because he's a free agent. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, I think just if I'm the bucks, like, yeah, it'd be cool to have a, a half court scorer, like a spark plug guy, but I, I want someone that I can see closing game seven of the finals. Like that's, that's where this team is. That's, and to me, that's always been the issue is where, like, where's the upgrade on the Wesley Matthews, Pat Connaughton, you know, Grayson Allen, Joe Ingles, like fifth, fifth starter, fifth closer spot where, like, where's the guy that can play that position that isn't just a standstill dependent scorer. Like, you know, Allen's not that, but Allen's a defensive liability. Like Wes Matthews and Ingles at this phase are just, guys that they're both too old. They're too immobile. There's you're, you need a shutdown guy there. That's I just, that's the spot I need. And, and I don't know where that comes from. And I don't think Jay Crowder helps you unlock some lineups that I think become very important in the playoffs, but given how good Brooke Lopez has been defensively this season, I don't think you're looking to go Giannis to the lone big. You could still play Giannis with Crowder and Brooke Lopez. That's fine. Yeah. I, some names that spring to mind. Do they have the juice? Like if you put Marjan Bochamp or that 2029 pick on the table, do you have the juice to get Boyan Bogdanovich? That I don't, I don't think that's well. The fact that it's so far out that first cuts both ways because maybe the Bucks are bad by then and that pick's good. I don't feel like that's enough. I, I don't think, and that is, I mean, that's the level of upgrade because I could see him being on the floor at the end of games, whether Lopez is the five or not, and feeling good about that. That that's the, that's the level, like that's the minimum level of player. I feel like they need. Would you put both on the table for Bogdan Bogdanovich for this team? Hmm. I'd like some, I'd like a little more size, I think. Cause again, I'm just like microscopically focused on who's my three, you know, at the end of the game. And I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, he would be really valuable if you're getting back to like, let's get the half court offense running. Like he's a smart passer. He can make shots off the catch off the bounce that that all matters. I think that some of the half court stuff too, by the way, is like, first of all, we've seen the bucks win a title with a lot of the same concerns, but if you don't have the Giannis Middleton pick and roll, which they really relied on a lot to get half court buckets late in games. I think if that were in play and who's to say that they'd even be using it in January, like that might be just, we know we have that for when we need it, but I think the half court numbers can look a lot better when they have that. And that, that just underscores the value of Middleton to this team, which is real scary considering his age and the fact that he's just like, can't get on the floor. The other name, and I mentioned him before with the Hornets, this wouldn't cost you a first round pick or Marjan Bochamp. It costs you probably three players in salary. You can get there. I did the math. It'd be Grayson Allen, Maybe you have to use Jordan War in there. Are you getting, are you punting on the Angles experiment at that point? You have George Hill's salary that might, you know, kill Mike Boonholzer on the inside. But would you give up just players for Terry Rozier? Smaller than you would prefer, but you haven't given up your first round picker, Marjan Bochamp there. And that's someone who going to space the floor, I think, in definitely this offense. That would be his best role. But can also, I wouldn't trust his pull up, but like he will drive. Yeah. And he has, def- I, I, I would, I, I agree. Like he's a little smaller than I'd want, kind of like Bogdan, Bogdan Bogdanovich. But we've also seen at points, Rozier be like a really kind of disruptive defender. Maybe that's too far in the past, but like maybe he can also summon that and add a lot of value that way. So you don't just have Javon Carter out there as like the only guy that does that in the backcourt other than Holiday. I, I could I could see my way to that for sure, especially if you're not giving up Beauchamp or like premium future assets. 
And the final question on the Bucks, and we kind of touched upon this, is Derek Williams. What should the Bucks do in the offseason if they don't win the championship this year? And it's look, I think you'd be getting at well, should they look at breaking up the big three, Middleton, free agent? No. You go all in and you figure out the half court issue and you fuck it's fuck the tax at that point. I don't care what you're paying. You have Giannis. I know you already won a title, but you keep going. Mm-hmm. You keep going. And it's do you aim for a higher scale move? You could because now you can trade a pick in 29 and 30. So you could trade a pick in a swap if you really wanted to do it that way, or at least protect a pick out to 2030 once the league calendar resets. And you have Marjan Beauchamp. Does it get harder to match some salaries because Joe Ingles is coming off the books? That that could be an issue. But if you like if you don't make it to the conference finals, because like only two teams make the finals and only one team can win the championship. I won't call the Bucks a failure if they don't win the title. But if you don't make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, or if the way you bow out in the playoffs isn't convincing or eminently excusable, it's you double down yeah. like you should have in the first place, though. I think that it was too much of a flex to go the Joe Ingles route in free agency. And if you wanted to go the Joe Ingles route, you should have been more aggressive on the margins in the trade market. I mentioned this before. I think Jordan Clarkson would have been more gettable before the season started. And the fact that the Bucks were just kind of like, and they knew that Middleton was going to miss time, that they had angles on the shelf, and we were going to roll this into, well, we're just going to be super aligned on Wes Matthews and Grayson Allen at points this season. It's just, it's uninspiring to me. Maybe they shut me up in the playoffs. That's, again, I think patience is fine here. They still need to make some type of move, I think, to bolster the, either the half-court offense or to just unlock, as you said, like, what is your best five-man unit? Because right now, I think it's when they're healthy, I would lean towards Connaughton as that fifth guy. Mm-hmm over Ingles, but like it might be debatable on the, depending on the night. Right. You'd hope it's not a debate, but, but to your point, before we go, I take us to the Knicks, like the fact that they mortgaged so much for, for holiday and paid so much to Middleton and they won, they won a title. So it's proof of concept. This is what you do when you have a generational talent in Giannis, who's smack in the middle of his prime. Like there's not tomorrow doesn't matter. Like, unless tomorrow is a finals game, like that's, that's it. You're not looking down the road because you have this guy that is almost impossible to get. So it's like, there's no like step back. There's no, well, should we, you know, should we quibble over like, is Middleton worth, should we try to get like, you know, 10 million less for this guy? Or It's like, no, it's just whatever it costs it costs. And cause you have Giannis, it's, it's better to do that than to like really try to overthink things. Um, so we have the Knicks next. So this is from Key with several E's. Uh, Nick's playing or regular playoff spot. So I'm going to keep it simple. Um, the Knicks, I would not view the Knicks as having a better shot at a playoff spot. So talking about a top six than Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Brooklyn, Cleveland. Like I just, I don't know. We don't need to have that discussion. I don't think for any of those teams, barring crazy injuries. So that's down to Indy, New York, and Miami. Maybe Toronto seems unlikely. Maybe Washington seems less likely for that sixth playoff spot. And look, there's a lot going for the Knicks. They're fifth when I last looked in simple rating system, which basketball reference just kind of mushes together strength of schedule and point differential among East teams. So that's fair. They're seventh overall. So this is a very East heavy, like top chunk of SRS rankings. Um, They're ahead of Indy who's 17th and Miami that's 21st. So, you know, Basically, I'm if I'm going to say that they're not a playoff team, it's going to kind of be some gut stuff, and I'm still going to say that. Um, I think Miami with Bam, Jimmy Butler, and Tyler Hero, and just years and years of knowing that the Heat are not going to be outcoached, that they have just a reservoir of playoff experience and just all the toughness, all the Heat culture, blah blah blah, like. If you're giving me a coin flip between them and the Knicks, which is kind of how I view it now, even though some of the standings and some of the advanced stuff say the Knicks are just better, um, I'm going to trust in the history. So I do think the Knicks are like a pretty clear, you know, not worse than seventh, eighth. I think if this were a normal pre-play-in scenario, they'd be a playoff team. And I wouldn't feel really any reservations about that. But if it's a specific question of are they a top six team in the East, not quite, just not quite, not quite there. I have no argument there. And I think you also, you could just mention that the Pacers are in front of them right now. There's no guarantee they go anywhere unless they sell yeah. the deadline. And then there's always the chance. I mean, look at the teams behind them. Could one of Chicago, Toronto, or Atlanta 
really make a late season surge, I wouldn't rule out. I'd rule it out for the Wizards. Make no mistake. But of those three teams, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. So we got a couple more Knicks questions here. Do you want to do? I'm going to pick one of them. Um, let's do. Let, do you want to do the Knicks Levine stuff? Do you want to do that one? If we got to pick one of these two, let's I think I'm more interested in that. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So this is from Dakota. Do you think the Knicks should trade for Levine if he becomes available before the deadline? I hate to part with IQ, but but I think they should. Not sure what they're going to do with all those draft picks anyway. So there's a couple ways, just you know, back of the napkin stuff that this could work. Um, for money wise, you could do Levine for quickly Rose Fournier to make the money work. Quickly top and Fournier Reddish could make the money work. And so for me, it just comes down to like. What what are we talking about pick wise? Um, if you could get you know two good ones going out from the Knicks, I'm like legit ones. I'm I'm fine with that. If I'm the Bulls, maybe the the top end quickly plus a couple of good firsts does it for me because you're getting you know some some younger pieces. This all presumes that this is part of a Bulls teardown, um, and you the Knicks could just go you know, no halfway intelligent team is going to see this for anything, but what it is, but we like, let's do five first rounders. And three of them are those like never going to convey with any kind of value, Washington, Detroit, what's the other one, Dallas all in 23. That'll just keep bumping back potentially, um, or just be shitty firsts. Um, I would do that. I think, uh, we've talked about, I've talked about reservations about Levine, like not a great defender, it's not an intuitive passer. Great scorer, great shooter. He would help the Knicks certainly more than I think the guys they're giving up. Um, but what are your thoughts on either of those packages? Is it the picks that hang you up? Is it giving up quickly and or Toppin? Like where where are you on a Levine to the Knicks trade? It's not giving up quickly or Toppin. And quickly's been really good defensively this year, and I do like Toppin. But if they're just not going to move away from Julius Randle, uh, I do worry about, okay, so you're having Levine, Brunson, R.J. Barrett, and Julius Randle on the same offense all of a sudden. So that would probably be my argument against going after Levine. But if it's if he's going to be substantially cheaper than a Donovan Mitchell trade where Chicago is willing to take back Evan Fournier, mm-hmm. uh, more willing to do that because they're worried about Levine's contract long-term, you need to know the health on his knee, of course. But if it's like, if you're not giving up Grimes or Barrett and then the pick haul is substantially less than what Utah got for Donovan Mitchell, yeah, I would consider it. I don't know what that means in terms of like how many of the Knicks' own picks unprotected would I include in the Zach Levine trade? This has nothing to do with who I think Zach Levine is at his peak as a player. I'm not including more than one unprotected pick beyond this season in a Zach Levine trade because of the stuff with his knee. That's literally it. It's not the contract, although it becomes about the contract if his knee's an issue. Um, and so if you're and then if you're building multitudes of layers of picks with all those other teams, conditional ones that you have, fine. Go ahead and do that. Uh, are you giving up an unprotected pick this year? Is that like even giving up two unprotected picks if one of them is this year when you're like kind of going to be in the play in territory? There's no guarantee Levine carries you out of there. I'm not giving up more than two of my own picks. And the second one of those is going to be protected in a Zach Levine trade. Yeah, I, that's where I'm at too. I think it's, it's an interesting like look into because a lot of times, you know, it's a, it's a bonus or it's a value add to trade for a player that has a bunch of years left on his contract now, because it's so high with annual value for Levine, maybe that changes things, but like the biggest, what's the biggest risk of, of the Mitchell trade for Cleveland? It's that he, he leaves in a couple of years when his deals up, you know, you've given up all this stuff and it's kind of a midterm rental. That wouldn't be the case with Levine, but because of the, the sheer dollar amount and because of the health stuff, and just because he's not as good of a player as Donovan Mitchell, the length of the contract is actually kind of like, that's prohibitive too. That's like, that would be the scary part. So it's interesting that just because of the length of the contract is can cut either way, I think is kind of the, the strange takeaway from talking about Levine deals. I know you said we should skip this one, but can we do the Julius Randall one? Yeah, let's do it. This is from uh Guarov or Guarv. Um, uh, is there a case for the Knicks to be sellers at the deadline? Yes, Julius because they Randall want to win a title one day now... and don't want to finish you know, ninth in the East perpetually. There's your case for the Knicks to be sellers. <laughs> so Randall is now back to getting unironic MVP chance at the Garden. Uh, he would likely be the best star caliber player available for a contender looking to make a move ahead of the deadline. And this might be the best opportunity for the Knicks to get commensurate value for him. 
I would trade Randall for any positive value at the first opportunity available. And if that is now, then I'm doing it. Um, I just, even though he's been better and, and, and he offensively, was, sure. Right. Okay. We have to qualify everything. Cause you know where I'm going. Like he, he doesn't fit anywhere on a serious winner. I just, you will never convince me that that, that, that player with his skill set, defensive shortcomings, ball stopping tendencies, even though like for a minute at the beginning of the year, we're like, Oh, his point is seconds per touch are way down. Maybe he's figured it out. No, he just, that's not the type of player he is. So, uh, I think he's the fact that he's been like a really damaging player as recently as last year and basically all the time on defense this year and is owed 23, 25, 27, 29 million through the life of this contract, which ends with a player option season, I think in 25, 26, like if I could get anything of uh, that is like a value add, I would do it so fast. Um, I don't even know if that's selling. It's kind of, it's like escaping is what that would be. I think it might be for me. I'm at the point where it's less about what Randall's doing to the team and more about opening up your future and angling for something bigger than where you are now, which is like, they're probably close to their ceiling in my book. Six, seven in the East is just where I would see them settling in. And now would be the time to move Julius Randall because yes, it opens the runway for others, but like you could get, whereas before it was, well, they do need a pick to get off of Julius Randall's deal. And now it's like, could they get a pick? Well, get, I would want to pick and expiring contracts. And like, I would probably move Julius Randle for just expiring contracts because I think a Knicks fans have been pissed and some of them downvoted this podcast. So if you're listening and want to help us out, go upvote this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. I would trade him for expiring contracts and move on five of the Knicks because I want to start basically over. If you want to keep Jalen Brunson, that's fine. Quentin Grimes, RJ Barrett. I want to completely just recalibrate this team. However, from the Knicks perspective, like, yes, you want to pick, and I'm not taking on long-term money. And so the deal that I've thought about, especially in light of the Devin Booker injury, is Jay Crowder, Dario Sharich, and then there's another, I think you need, might need another contract to get it done. That might actually get it done on its own, because what does Randall make it? Throw Shamit in there if you have to, whatever. I mean, yeah, I mean, so Randall's at 23.8, and then if you do Sharich and um, Jay Crowder, you're at, Almost I mean, you're, you're at basically 20. So yeah, you're. I think you're there or you're close. Whatever. If you need another negligible salary, fine. Would they give you this year's first round pick and a 2025 first round pick? I don't know if I'd do that. If I was, I'd protect the shit out of the 2025 first round pick. Mm-hmm. But if you could get their first round pick this year and Jay Crowder, like who kind of functionally helps your team. If you're actually, he might not want to play for you unless you're going to pay him. That's a whole nother can of worms, but he could really work at the four. And so, like, if you want Obi Toppin to ever play, like an Obi Toppin, Jay Crowder experimental front court. So, that would be the type of deal I would target. I just don't, when I start to look at teams, I don't know who else would want Randall. And I'm not, let's not get into is he a winning player or not. Just like, what is the need for like the Clippers? Eh, not really. Like, they just had their half court offense has been better lately now that Kawhi Leonard plays more. Shocker. Go figure. And then it's just like, you start to run out of options. Like, you can name teams. But like, it, there's no one that I think, with the exception of Phoenix, honestly, I don't know that there's anyone out there that would look at Julius Randle as their primary target. Were Julius Randle away from really not even winning a title, but making a huge difference, a huge dent in this season and beyond? Yeah, I agree. He's just a player type that that I guess he's a floor raiser. Um, but but like, if you're trying to do anything legitimate and he's going to make the money that he's making and have the usage rate that he's going to have. You're playing him a lot, I guess, to justify that cost. And then I don't, he, he's just such a negative defensively and the ball stopping. And it's just, it doesn't work on a team that's trying to win in a meaningful way. So like, and it's like, even when the ball stopping is like, there's not as much ball stopping, right? He's just, he's been really good for a longer mm-hmm. period of time, but it's so waxy and waney. That's the thing. You don't know like, what, which one it's going to be. And so even teams that could insulate defensively themselves defensively against him, it's can Memphis talk themselves into Julius Randle? And I'll say, I would actually say maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. And Julius Randle in the front court would be a heck of a thing to watch, but they're not a team that's going to give you real value for him. Like maybe you get their first round pick this year and that's it. And that's money. And if they might not even want to get to the money to match Julius Randle's salary, they, they want to trade Danny green and that's it. Basically Mm -hmm. maybe the heat was the other team I thought about. You're also, they're not giving you like first round picks on first round picks. You're, you're taking back Duncan Robinson in that deal. 
So are you doing Duncan Robinson in two first for Julius Randle? I honestly don't know because one of them's so far out. I don't know if the Heat would do it. And two, then it's like, okay, well, now we're getting into Duncan Robinson has a worse contract than Julius Randle. Makes less, but it's just, it's a worse contract. Yeah, that's true. Julius Randle's a, a bigger value add. So yeah. it's it kind of feels like Phoenix or bust, but I would make that deal. If Phoenix put a second first round pick on the, even if it's like top 18 protected and you get their pick this year plus salary, that Jay Crowder, I'm doing it. I'd, I'd jump on it if I were the Knicks. Yeah. That brings us to Orlando. We have just one question on them. Thank you, Daniel Mortensen the third for coming through in the clutch. Who do you want to see as the point guard of the future in Orlando? I will. So I'll start it by this. I don't think the point guard of the future is on the Orlando Magic right now. I think Fultz has been good this year. Calanthe's been good this year. They've guided the Magic through some tough stretches, some good fourth quarters. Uh, I don't view Jalen Suggs as a point guard. I think people are way too low on Jalen Suggs, though. And so I don't know how to identify who the point guard of the future is in Orlando because I don't think he's there yet. If I had to pick who has the best chance of becoming him, I would argue in favor of maybe Paolo Bancaro or Jalen Suggs would still be my second best option. Now, I think eventually they could go after a Donovan Mitchell type player. I think it was too early for them to get involved now. I go back and forth on if Trey Young became available, whether they should go after him just because he had such a far departure from the way that they play right now when you look at his heliocentrism uh but like that could that could be the way that they get their point guard of the future that or it's scoot henderson i think it's more likely the magic draft or trade for their point guard of the future than it is that he's already on the roster yeah i agree with that i i i do i have to bring up every time we talk about the magic bank harrow is going to be my answer uh but i think you have so many options because bank and franz wagner have proven to be like pretty viable, certainly Bancaro, like viable distributors. So you, you don't even need a real point guard necessarily. You, you could just build out like this guy can guard and he can shoot. He's a bad passer. Like you could have a, like a Gary Payton, the second type back there. And then you could have just a guy who's going to knock down shots and defend like a, I don't know. I don't again, I, but I agree. Like he's not on the roster. Um, I, I just don't think he's there. So um, if you do make a trade for like Van Vliet or for Russell or for, you know, whatever other potential short-term fix you might be interested in pursuing. Um, Alex Caruso is another guy, like he's not a point guard of the future, but you could get away with that type of guy because you get so much playmaking from other spots. Um, but yeah, they just don't have that guy yet. And maybe this is more of an off season decision because it might depend on what direction Utah is headed. But like, would you look at the, like, can we have Mike Conley as a stopgap if we're trying to do something now? And like, you just have that Jonathan Isaac number sort of floating around and we don't want to roll the dice on him. Mike Conley be perfect for this team is just sort of a steward. Mm -hmm. You have to want to win now though. And that's not a long-term solution. Yeah. I'm not giving up anything remotely future of value for the future to get a a veteran in. Yeah. It's just not going to, um, that takes us to the Sixers. Uh, this is from Robin Plunder. What's your best guess on a James Harden extension? Stay in Philly, five-year max, back to Houston. So like, I want to start with the back to the, did the back to Houston thing like blow your mind as much as it did mine? I just couldn't believe that that, like everything about that, the fact that the report dropped on Christmas, the fact that that was even, I just couldn't get my head around that. Did, what did, What were your thoughts there? Two things stood out. I it it blew my mind when I saw it. Jake Fisher had reported it over the summer that Harden had considered Houston. And so it blew my mind then. So we knew it was out in the ether. I don't know that I knew how serious it was. The timing was mind melting more than anything because it doesn't work in service of James Harden this far out from free agency. He's having a good stretch, six are having a good stretch. It could be viewed as max contract leverage. That's something you use closer to actual free agency when you've quelled the biggest doubt, which is can I stay healthy the entire season and then play in the postseason, And I think I settled on the fact that maybe this was like Houston flexing a little bit, or this is what happens when you don't have an actual agent and there's not someone out there kind of protecting your, your best interests. That, so that, do you think it came from Houston or do you think it came from Harden? I answer question. I don't know. I would say that it didn't come from Harden on purpose. I believe it. I believe that he will look at Houston I don't believe that it was his side that would have leaked this. I also don't know if it was Houston's side. It could have been another team, like just trying to, like, like you know. So, uh, but it could have been Houston, like maybe trying to get the word out there, like, oh, the thing I propose is just like if Harden's going to Houston, like then the Rockets probably wind up trading for Kevin Durant once he gets there. 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, you're laughing, but I'm dead serious. I just, well, I wouldn't put anything. Back. So I'm going to answer the question. My guess is he's going to do like, I think it's been out there that he's interested in one plus ones. I think the weirdness of the, re the, the opt out and the re-signing for a big pay cut to facilitate, a, you know, better role players on the Sixers this year, rightfully, I think, or probably didn't get enough tampering attention relative to some of the other stuff that got tampering uh, probes, I guess. I think he's going to do a one plus one to stay with the Sixers. I And and that's all because, because I want to get to this, like in addition to all the other stuff, it, I don't understand like what, what circumstances have changed in a favorable way for Harden that Houston is more appealing because it's like Daryl Morey's not there. He was your biggest advocate. He, so, but you still have the same coach that you quit on. Steven Silas is still there. You still have the same ownership group. So is it just that like you missed being allowed to fly to Vegas and do whatever you wanted all the time. Like, is it that? And being I, I cynical. He has real ties to the community there. Right. Aside from that, And I think that matters. I think the other thing is, is he doesn't seem like someone who's a, a cold weather climate type of guy. And so being in Brooklyn and Philly through the winter, like, Hey, this came out during like the cold front when the, when we were in the fucking tundra. Maybe so, that's the maybe that's all it is. Is he was having a bad day. He was sick of <laughs> twenty-two degree weather, and he said, "Get me uh, back to the Gulf Coast." The other thing is, though, as you mentioned it, is like the I I guarantee you the coach changes if he goes back. It would have I, to. My, Stephen Silas and may Paul Silas rest in peace. And he's not, but I don't think Stephen Silas has been dealt a great hand. I would be shocked if he might still be coaching Houston next year, um, even if Harden's not there. But you kind of hit it like, yeah, Tillman Fertitta is still there, but Tillman Fertitta is like. Not made of money, quite frankly, and he probably right. wants to win now. So he would probably fork over the moon for Harden, who is also familiar with Raphael Stone, who is under um, Daryl Morey for the for the longest time. And so you go back there, there's a comfort level. Maybe you know you're going to have certain agency. And I don't know if you saw within that Woj piece, it was buried at the bottom. But it said that like James Harden basically doesn't have a great working relationship yet with Doc Rivers, surprise, surprise, or Joel Embiid. And so there is your, like, if that's, if he's just not happy... And like, he's just longing for a time in Houston. My prediction would be he signs a two plus one, mm -hmm. by the way, because I think that still gives you the leverage to force a trade if you want out sooner, but it's not so far away that you lock more long-term security down, but it's not so far away that you don't have options. So that will be my official guess. I'm curious as the number. Do you think he gets max or short of the max? Honestly, I think a lot of that depends on playoff performance this year. And that's like a stupid way to evaluate stuff. Um, but if, if for the whatever year in a row, his max is 46, nine, by the way, in case I, I can't, so here I'll tie this in. I'm going to, so no, I'm not going that high. Um, I could see another deal that looks like the one he just signed where it's, it's what it, what it, it was like 68, maybe, or six, something like that. 30 some odd million a year, you know, with a player option. That's maybe, but here's the other thing that I wanted to get to is like, all this is like Harden's interested in going back. I don't, whatever you think about that, if you're Houston, do you want anything to do with this? Like you're not far along in your rebuild and you're going to give some substantial amount of money to someone that will fundamentally change how you play that, that will, you know, he's a great passer. So maybe that's helpful for a team that turns it over more than anybody else and is just disorganized and the offense sucks. And, you know, cause Kevin Porter jr. Is not a point guard and Jalen green has his issues maybe you could talk yourself into this being helpful to what the Rockets need. But I just think this is not the type of move that a Houston team being where it is should even consider. Like I just, I, the homecoming angle, great, but like, is it a home? I guess, I guess people would be glad to have him back because he does have ties, but he did force his way off the team like not long ago. I just, and I just don't know how that serves any of the like bigger picture interest for the Rockets. It would feel like a, it would feel like a move motivated by all the wrong things if, if the Rockets wanted or even thought about doing this. I think you would do it because he's not coming back, and this would have to be your interest would need to align. He's not coming back. We've we've seen this movie before where veterans, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm good with growing with the young guys, and we'll get to title contention sooner right. than you think. You'll get there because you will blow it up, and that's what will happen if James Harden comes back. I don't know how many of Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr., this year's pick, Tari Eason, um, Kevin Porter Jr., Al Prinshik. I don't know how many of them get traded. More than one of them is getting traded if James Harden comes back. And so you ask yourself, then why? Because James Harden is not this open line to title contention. It's because James Harden isn't coming alone. 
And that's the answer. He's coming with Kevin Durant. Is he coming with LeBron James? Is that something like, yeah, you're really aging out your core then, but also how much does it cost to get LeBron James out of LA at this point? If he really wants to leave over the summer, it might not cost you as much. Like you probably, you probably exit any LeBron James trade with two of Jabari Smith, Jr. Jalen green and this year's first round pick still on your roster. You'd have to, but I just, I mean, if you, t- the only, there's no scenario where LeBron James goes to Houston. I don't care if, I mean, unless, Why? unless Durant does come with Harden and it's like, let's go. We're going to me. Oh, that would be, that but would like, be something. Now we're just now. So that's why I'm just, I, I, I had to like back way off of this and just say, the answer to the question is he's going to stay in Philly. I think one plus one, you say two plus one, the Houston thing is too bizarre. And there are too many, like, why I bet you people do this Brooklyn scenario was too bizarre. <laughs> What's that? I bet you people thought the Brooklyn scenario was too bizarre. I know. I just, uh, I think I it's just... my, my prediction is with you. I think he's in Philly next year. I think the Houston concept is very real. I, so I guess why I'm bumping on it is because I also accept that it's very real and it, it seems like the worst idea in history and I can't like get my brain around it rationally. That's so that's where it seems real and it seems insane. So like square those two things. Let's get to the Toronto Raptors. And so this one comes, we have a bunch of questions there. So SS, how good has Pascal Siakam really been this season by the numbers? So I have a couple here. He is 24th in estimated plus minus, which given the amount of time he's missed and how just bad the Raptors have been overall, I would say is like, that's a win. Also here's every non-guard. Or no, here's everyone in NBA history, excuse me, I, I, I changed the qualifiers, to average 25-plus points, 8-plus rebounds, 6-plus assists, while shooting better than 50% on twos and 34% on threes for an entire season. Larry Bird, LeBron, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, James Harden, and Pascal Siakam is on pace to comfortably, right now, join that club. And something else to consider with him is, I think, and this is the part of his game that I would like to highlight the most, is he's has more of a diversified portfolio when you're looking at his drives. There's more directionality there. There's better decision-making. And so among there have been in the NBA, there have been 166 players who have uh, finished at least 100 drives this season. Pascal Siakam is scoring on more than, or generating points on more than 60% of his drives and has a turnover rate lower than five while getting to the foul line um, more than 10% of the time. Here's everyone in the league, minimum 100 drives, to match those benchmarks. DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Anderson and both Nikola Jokic and LeBron are very close to being in there. And so, like, that's that's good. That's just how good Pascal Siakam has been by the numbers. He is not the issue in Toronto. I do think in an ideal world, you need someone to be your number one or at least your number one scorer in the half court. And I don't know that Fred Van Fleet's game is dynamic enough. It stalls out too much for me. His off-ball stuff is good, but kind of everything else feels like it's up in the air when you're looking at his finishing inside the arc and ability to knock down difficult looks off the dribble. So I think Pascal Siakam would be in the All-NBA discussion if the season ended today. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was going to say exactly that he's he's had an All-NBA season, and I'm concerned that because the Raptors are viewed somewhat correctly as being disappointing that he's not going to get that. He's not going to get fair consideration. He's like, I think we both had him as a for sure all-star. Like he's been great. The injuries to Zion and Anthony Davis now, I think kind of open up the run. If he stays healthy, open up the runway a little bit, but a lot of that could depend on, well, what is Toronto doing at the deadline? And if they're selling, I would be shocked if they trade Siakam, but is he going to be shut down at some point if they decide to go the bigger picture route? Maybe so. But I agree. Like, it, it, when when a guy like him is having a season this good and the Raptors have had just continue to have such a struggle creating shots, it does tell you that the bar for like someone else to help in that regard is pretty low. Because if your second best guy is doing what you just outlined offensively, like you don't need, you don't need, I mean, you to be a contender, you need someone that's better. But to be like just a passable offense that isn't floundering under 500, like, to get into the next question about the Raptors, you like don't need a huge upgrade in terms of, in terms of like a steward for the offense. And I think that's the, I would, I then misspoke is that Pascal Siakam can be your best player and be your best offensive player. You need a more dynamic sidekick next to him, whether it's sure. A However you want to phrase it. Yeah. I, 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 let's, let's do the next one. Cause this ties into kind of what we're talking about. 
Rhett Bauer asks, should the Raptors look into Conley? I'm struggling to see the gettable guard that can shoot and defend enough to warrant playing time for the Raptors, but maybe I need to lower the bar from starter quality. And I don't like Mike Conley would be a really good fit in, in Toronto. I think doesn't fit their project six, nine model. I don't know what you're giving matching. The salary gets tough. Are you giving up? Are you step laddering your way there? Or are you just giving up Gary Trent jr? And that's the move. Uh, but you're taking on longer term money and you're worried about your long-term finances. Is there like a combo Malik Beasley, Mike Conley trade there? I mean, that's a lot of money going in and out, but is there something to work, work there? And a lot of that depends on what Utah's doing at the deadline. I don't know how you feel about the, the Mike Conley name though for, for Toronto. Well, based on this year, he's not someone that can shoot. Um, but I, I would trust yeah. in the, the, the larger body of work and just the idea that he does, he does do a lot of things that Van Vliet does not do. I th- I really still like Van Vliet. I just, cause we've, we've seen him be hugely valuable in big games in playoff series. Like his, I think I really, for him, like, I, I think I looked it up the other day. Um, it's all catch and shoot threes for Van Vliet that have just fallen off. Um, and that, and that, that's a huge factor. I mean, that's a big thing to fall off for a guy like him. Cause that matters so much. Um, but his pull-up stuff is, is really valuable. That's part of what's helped him. He's right around the low. I think 32.8% is what I looked at, which is roughly what he did the year before. Um, oh, he did 32.2% yeah. on pull-up threes? 32.8. Oh, I'm about to say, whew, wow. Yeah. But he's a guy that he's kind of like Kemba Walker used to be, where just the fact that he can get off so many, you know, on the high pick and roll, like matters. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, Conley's fine. I mean, you want to talk about Lowry. I feel like the long-term money for him makes that prohibitive. Um, if you could, if you're trying to get, what if this is just spitballing now, but if we keep trying to, everyone keeps trying to trade Ananobi, if you could get, you know, you, you maybe you get a pick or two back. You, Walker Kessler is kind of a big focus of that deal. You maybe get a short-term point guard, probably not getting, obviously not getting marketing in, but if you could just, I'm just obsessed with finding like ones and fives for the Raptors now. Cause, <laughs> cause I think the the tide is now turning and we're all kind of out on the current roster construction plan of no positions and everybody's tall, but not tall enough and not quick enough and all that stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know. Conley's fine. I wouldn't want D'Angelo Russell to just throw another name out there that we've just mentioned. Um, but yeah, someone like that, you need someone that can run the offense. And I'm not even sure. Again, I'm not sure. They, like what if it was Malik Beasley instead? Is that too Gary Trent Jr. is for you? I was going to say how different is he offensively than Trent Jr. He's a better shooter, probably, but he's not as good a defender. So so, so here's two names. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Both Bogdanoviches. Why not? The other one is given how like the Raptors, yes, they like to get out in transition, but their half-court offense is slow. Mm-hmm. What about Monte Morris? Doesn't he strike you as just a game manager? Which I guess like that's kind of what we said they need, <laughs> but, but if you're trying to speed things up, maybe he moves the ball a little quicker. I'm okay with that. He just, I was I'm just gonna... thinking he kind of fits into the slow motif and couldn't be like, probably is a little bit faster than like their op, like going through the motions of isolation, like to get rid of the ball at least. Yeah, no, that, that I mean, that's not, that, that's not way off. I mean, like I'm trying to think who else even I'm drawing blanks on who else would make sense. Like what if it was just someone on the level of like Tyus Jones? Like, would that make a difference or is he almost too Van Vliet-esque in terms of like his playing style? I think you would make, I think having someone who's, Van Vliet's improved so much as an actual point guard. I don't know that it would make that much of yeah. a difference, but it would, it would certainly help your bench. We're talking about Tyus Jones and, uh, you know, maybe even Alex Caruso, because he won't give you any volume, but is he someone who, but I still think it needs to be someone who's like a floor spacing shot creator, which is why Bogdanovich might be perfect. Yeah. I don't know that you want him running point guard stuff, but he will get off looks and he can put the ball on the floor and maybe you fold him into a John Collins trade. And is that what, I don't know if I'm giving up, I'm not giving up OG for Bogdanovich and John Collins, but like you could try to do something like that. I don't know why the Hawks want to get rid of Bogdanovich after trading Kevin Herter for what it's worth, but yeah. I mean, maybe like Orlando, the point guard of the future is not currently on the Toronto Raptors. Well, I think that's clear. And it's also why, like, if there were ever higher level star discussions, I don't know what star become available. But I even thought about, like, if Trey Young was available, there's probably a trade, like, around Fred Van Fleet for Trey Young that might make sense for both sides. Like, where Atlanta's not dropping off, but they're also getting future equity. And I think that Trey Young would obviously elevate Toronto's offense. He is the opposite of the type of player they target, even on the smaller end. 
of the spectrum, but still. Yeah. All right. Um, this is the, uh, we're up to our last team here, the Washington wizards. Um, I think I'm going to answer the second question first. Uh, this is from Celtics Doomer. How good can the wizards be with the trio trio That was a slip trio of Trey Beal and Porzingis. I mean, the offense would be really good. Uh, I, like I, I don't know who you're guarding. I, I, Porzingis, first of all, Porzingis has been better than I, and I think most people thought he would be, and they're using him differently. They're posting him up more. Um, there's a He's really good article. Some just like the audacity behind some of his shot and they're going in. So yeah. I don't know he yeah. He took a turnaround over Giannis last night from like 18 feet with that nine was... seconds left on the shot clock. You saw your time. You saw the same one. I was just I like, tapped it and put it on Twitter. I was like, what the fuck? That is a tough ass shot. And he hit it. Um, but yeah, so great offense. Sure. I think Trey alone, I think puts your floor pretty high unless you're talking about this Atlanta season. And then Beal is it, well, he pulled his hamstring again. Um, but it, when he's on the floor and when he's right, like that's a luxury number two option. And then Porzingis as a third guy that can just crush switches in the post and, and spread the floor. Awesome offense. Um, the health histories and all that other stuff, like, you know, the likely outcome is probably not great. Um, but I wanted to go to, uh, this is spending more than Mark Cuban. What would need to happen for the wizards to win the East? Um, they need to trade for Trey Young and without giving up Porzingis or Bradley Beal, probably, right? Right. But I figured it out actually. Do you want to okay. hear it? It's there's multiple steps to the process. Let's hear it. This is the Wizards winning the East, right? So to me, that is not just finishing first. To me, that's like you're in the finals. You're the East representative in the finals. So first there's a meteor strike that destroys half uh the western half of the country. Um, and so now the NBA has so this is that's step one, one A the NBA has to field two full all-star teams by the NBA pushes on, you know, they push on because we've had the bubble after COVID and they're going to press on after the meteor strike. So the all-star game is comprised only of East players now. So you're doubling the East players you're taking. Uh, unrelated. Meanwhile, Brad Beal is bitten by a radioactive spider and gains superpowers, but is still overpaid even with them. Uh, so then Kyrie takes control of the flight to the all-star game and, uh, flies to the edge of the earth where he proves it's flat and FaceTimes the next top 10 vote getters who aren't on the plane. And they're also stunned that they reevaluate their lives and choices and decide basketball is too trivial to continue to pursue. Um, Porzingis is also bitten by a radioactive spider, but a different one, which is a wild coincidence, uh, possible pest control problem at Capital One Arena. He then accidentally shares water bottles at practice and transmits those powers to Kyle Kuzma and Daniel Gafford. So now you have four starters with superpowers from spiders on the Wizards. The Bucks, who led by Chris Middleton, who was not on the all-star plane because he didn't play enough, are undone by a gambling scandal. They've been betting on pickleball. Um, LeBron James is pissed off because he's an investor. Um, all of the rest of the Bucks are suspended for life. Brad Stevens takes the entire Celtics roster through an obscure loophole back to Butler where he coaches, and they win 12 straight national titles, which was his plan all along. And then... I guess the rest of the other East teams just don't play. And that's how the wizards win the East. Um, so there are other explanations probably um, that aren't as dickish and condescending, uh, but that's kind of how I see it happen. They can probably talk themselves into being buyers at the deadline or something, but they they're not. And their only way they're going to win is just the exact way that you immediately outlined it, which was spectacular. And I don't take it as a condescending answer to the question. The question actually, I think reflects how the wizards would think. Is that they're not looking at the longer term, but they're looking. Well, how can we win the East this season? This is this is the what do they call it? Middle middle out building, or no? That's from like Silicon Valley, middle out something. It's like what do they call it? Middle build? Is that is that the term? I guess it's the middle build. It's and are do you see that ever changing for the franchise? I the the Beal the Beal contract. All in all seriousness, the Beal contract was just we've belabored it, just beat it into the ground, but it's just symptomatic of an approach to roster building that I just think puts a cap on how good you can be uh, that is way below winning the East or reaching the conference finals or anything like that, because the best version of Beal is awesome. I don't know if there's reason to believe we'll see it. And then I also don't know if that guy with really good supporting players, even if you throw Trey young on there somehow without giving up like every young wing or pick or any, whatever, it's just not quite there. Um, just take, just to finish the uh, the thought, like 
take last night's game. We're recording this on, on Wednesday, the, in which Porzingis hit a ridiculous shot over Giannis to win a conference or finish first in a conference. You need a Giannis type. Like you need the guy that is just, I'm in charge. Cause how many conference finalists don't have that guy? There's someone like that, that is just mm-hmm. overpowering, undeniable. It doesn't have to be the way Giannis does it through like sheer force, but you have that guy. And when the wizards paid Beal what they paid him, they paid him like that guy. And that, prohibits them from getting that guy and being able to pay him. So there's the cap is just is on for this team and it's going to be there, you know, until this thing gets blown up, which to your point, like may never happen. It's just kind of, we're just going to ride this to disappointing seasons. And I think the real answer here though, is that the wizards need to acquire a player that they don't currently have the assets to get until at least, at least that pick obligation to New York expires, which probably right. won't be this season. It's protected. It's it's out a long time. I think it's to 2026 or is it even 2027? It's protected until as I scroll through here, 2026. Yes. And so like you need that obligation to convey so that you can, if you want to, I don't know that I would suggest it, but if you wanted to give the all picks and swaps package, you can't have that on your ledger. We need to figure out a way to unprotect it from the Knicks. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. No, they, those picks with the long, you know, year over year rollover things sound like good ideas until they're not, until they just hamstring. You can do the conditional dance, but when it's a team like the Wizards mm-hmm. and you're not sure that you can't just say it'd be different. It's like, oh, we know the first pick that they're going to give us is going to convey in 2025. If the Wizards did, no, it's not your 20, they can't trade their 2025 pick right now because this year's isn't conveying to the Knicks. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it, I think, for our Eastern Conference mailbag. Apologies to anyone offended by my Wizards slander, although it's only slander if it's not true. Um, Remember, please, everyone, rate, review, subscribe, follow us on our socials. They're here if you're watching us on YouTube, at Hardwood Knox, everywhere else. Check check in with us on TikTok, share everything, uh, tell your friends. Um, If you enjoy it, uh, if you enjoy these mailbags, please contribute. We'll put out blasts for those on Discord where you can also join and kind of engage in what are some pretty good live game campfires and just general team talk. Um, So yeah, tell friends, follow us, like us, do everything to make us feel good about ourselves uh, because we need it. So uh, until we meet again, uh, I would like to apologize to Jared Allen and give a shout out to the one and only uh, best human alive, Franklin Lakeem.